नमस्ते एज इज अवर अंडरस्टैंडिंग ऑफ क्राइसिस सो इज द पाथ वी टेक टूवर्ड्स लिबरेशन इफ यू अंडरस्टैंड द क्राइसिस प्योरली इन फिजिकल टर्म्स देन ऑब्वियसली वी ट्राई फिजिकल मीन्स टू डू वॉट वी कैन दो इवन देयर इफ यू टेक इट ट्रूली राइट इन टू द फिजिकल then we have to understand that every crisis actually points towards the solution the crisis itself points and if we look at it with courage in our heart with faith in our hearts then we will see that the problem and the solution coexist at the same spot so what is the problem the problem is not something external it comes from something external but let's take this issue of pandemic and many challenges that we face what really is the challenge challenge is not the virus the virus is only challenging the body's capacity to deal with it in some other body in some other organism in some other animal it would be perfectly fine to have this virus after some time when the body is habituated to it it would again be perfectly fine so it's not the outer object but it is the inner capacity to take a challenge meaning thereby when there is a challenge to the body what is to be done what is to be done is to awaken the utmost possibility within the body of taking on this challenge and healing it from within outwards not only healing but developing within the body the capacity that it cannot even be touched to find that kind of armor now we have a story very interesting in the mahabharata where one of the characters called karna he is born with an armor that cannot be penetrated by any kind of weapon now we take it as a fable and uh, you know of course uh, deeply symbolic story but all of us in a certain sense as the mother reminds us carry a kind of armor a kind of envelope around our very physical body and it's so simple to strengthen this armor she says that it is composed on the one side by physical uh, by the physical condition of the body food fatigue rest exercise etc the habits of the body the things we indulge in and on the other side by the psychological condition which means cheerfulness trust faith and all these things help us to build this armor on the other hand fear depression anxiety agitation fatigue they pierce holes through it now this is a knowledge which she has given it just like that she hasn't charged any money for giving us this knowledge she hasn't given us a course for certain amount of you know money wherein we can learn about it and i can assure you both from my own experience and the experience of number of colleagues that if we just know how to keep this subtle physical armor intact then a whole lot of problems will not be able to touch us all diseases come from outside within so first thing first is that you know we are talking of liberation the first thing is that the ability for the bodily life to function 
and to be able to face all the countless challenges. Now, this is one very simple thing she has said, the physical condition and the psychological conditions. Now, we all know that, you know, uh, for example, that fear and depression depress our immune system. We all know that if we don't sleep well, it has an impact upon our immunity. Our food has an impact upon our immunity. So there is a way. There are very simple ways of helping ourselves, and it doesn't need money. It just needs a little application of will. Second thing is that all crisis comes to throw up a challenge, and what really is the challenge? The challenge is an evolutionary challenge. And all conflicts, all challenges at their bottom are evolutionary conflict. Meaning thereby that at any given point of time, there are forces of ascending evolution which are wanting to carry us upwards. And at the same time, there are forces which want to hold us back. Now, the beauty is that these are not like fixed forces. At a given point of time, certain things are fine. They are helping man to move upward. Take for instance the religious thought at some point of time or certain habits we have adopted in life. They helped us to move forward. But at another point of time these very forces, these very habits can become counterproductive. So essentially if we remember this basic principle then we have to see that whether at any given point of time we are taking the forces of the upward evolution or falling back on the old ways of life to the old habitual patterns, to the old attitudes and thereby actually doing a movement which is counter-evolutionary. Now when we take a counter-evolutionary approach or a retrogressive approach, it may look good in the beginning because you know if we are falling back upon our safety lines, comfort zones, but in the long run it's not what is going to help us. Because nature looks at a very very large scale, her movements are on mega scale. So, while we are concentrating on the smaller picture of one year, two years and trying to thwart it, we have not yet, at this point of time, I believe, addressed the real issue. And unless we address the real issue, and that issue is ultimately, is there a way to make our bodily life perfect and completely immune? Is it possible? Now, many would call it a dream. And yet, mankind has pursued this dream right from the time that human beings are on earth. Right from the beginning of, uh, you know, the first dawns of mankind, we have always sought for an elixir of immortality. Now, that's what we see in many fables, the search for the elixir of immortality. And where is the first elixir of immortality to be found? Very interesting, in the tantras, of course, there is a symbol of this uh, Ganga, Yamuna and Saraswati where they meet. Now, these are the three rivers out of which Saraswati is lost. And we have a fable in India, must have heard about this Kumbh Mela. Now, yesterday we spoke about the Amrit story. Now, when the fight ensues, it is said that a few drops of the nectar of immortality fall at a place where Ganga and Yamuna are meeting and Saraswati are meeting. So, every year there is a kind of Mela and every 12 years there is a kind of fair there where people go to take a bath and holy dip where there is a confluence of three rivers. But the confluence of three rivers is a symbol. Within us, there are two parallel streams of energy, parallel streams of nerve channels which are running. We know that they run by the side of the spinal column. And there is another one which is running in the center. This center one is the Vilupta Saraswati, the, the Saraswati which has vanished. 
and if she can be awakened she can balance these very beautifully and where the three meet there we find the nectar of immortality so this was a very ancient tantric symbol wherein people tried to find the balancing middle um, middle river middle it's known as the river it the middle stream of energy and to balance it if we could do it otherwise normally we are tilted to the right or tilted to the left but the central being the center of our being that's where we find the first nectar pot of immortality now this was one approach which was used by the occultists by the ancient tantrics but the mother says something very even more simple discover the center that's where the whole thing lies and if we can find ways and means to reach the center of our being and you know this is shown in many ways in movies then the rest of the jigsaw puzzle of nature can really be solved so there is a door within which is closed and while we are trying to open every door and one after another they close it's like you know we have tried through the going through the maze so we reach we think here is the end here is the opening and there is the dead end we come back again and you know we think there is an opening and a dead end so we keep on going through the maze that's how the mind operates but there is another way of operating the human operating system there is a center the psychological center of our being and actually if we look at the human body with our arms stretched and the body standing straight then we know that that center is in the heart in the center of the heart that's how the ecg is taken because it's the electrically neutral point and from the mystic point of view there is a psychological center of our being and if we discover it and begin to dwell in it it begins to change everything now what is this psychological center of our being well it is the psychic being as the mother has said and instead of running outside while mankind is all the time rushing outside either through the tv the news channels finding ways and solutions but the real solution begins from here it begins by discovering who we are so beautifully we were reading about you know um immortality and the body is made immortal there is a line in savitri body is made immortal by the spirit's light it's only that light which can affect the transmutation now why do we still you know even when we have read all this i am aware of people who read this and this but they rush still outwardly because well we live in an age when our uh, you know lifespan is very short we believe that we are going to live for 80 years and 80 years is very short compared to the lifespan which we read in the previous ages of mankind and at the same time we are all the time harassed with 101 things much of it which is created by the mind itself by the civilization that we have erected but leaving that aside the real problem is that we are always busy finding quick remedies you know we are like people who want fast food because it's quick to prepare and quick to eat perhaps tasty but it's not good for health so the problem is that and it's habit forming so instead of rushing for these immediate remedies we we can do that as a temporary measure but we must know that is not the solution the solution lies in turning within all challenges of life you know often um, i have seen this and i in my counseling sessions i say when all the doors are open, closing outside then we must know that there is one door which we still can open and perhaps this whole drama that is taking place it's a symbol that you know all these doors 
uh, we can't go out, we can't do this, we are wearing a mask, 101 things. But there is a door inside which we must open. We must take advantage of this situation. And if we don't open the door, we are only waiting for another crisis. Nothing to do with people being good or bad. It's nothing to do with that. It will come because behind a crisis, there is a challenge. The challenge who is giving us? Nature is giving us. Where is she trying to drive us? She is trying to drive us to the radical permanent remedy. While we are busy with halfway homes. So when we turn within, there is the advantage of finding the permanent remedy, not only for one crisis or another crisis, but for the permanent crisis. And this is beautifully typified in the story of the in the Mahabharata battlefield, where on one side, there is all the army with invincible warriors, seemingly a lost case for the Pandavas. And yet the sky and the hero of the, the war, Arjuna, he instead of turning here and there, instead of taking stock of, you know, Duryodhana is busy taking stock of his army. But Arjuna turns towards where, you know, the one, one thing needful where one must turn. And he simply turns to the charioteer Krishna and says, you tell me, you guide me, you lead me, you tell me what I must do. And what does Krishna tell him? He gives a, you know, the whole cosmos is revealed in that. But at the end of it, he says that wherever there is, there is of course, the Gita, wherever there is uh, the Lord and wherever there is the human vessel, the human soul, open, ready, surrendered, there there is victory. So all nature is driving us towards that grand revelation which is within us. And these are moments when we should rethink, reorient. They are moments which are there to teach us. One of the things that the mother says that all these confusions teach us is, to understand that all our plannings, look at the simplest lessons. Two years back, we all had planned many things. And we all as rational creatures believed that these plans will come true. I still remember even in Greenville when we parted, okay, we'll meet next year with... And everywhere, we all have plans. So many travel plans, meeting plans, marriage plans, all kinds of plans. What happens really? What happens is to realize that life is lived moment to moment. And if we learn to live moment to moment, then a lot of our problems will be gone. That is one of the solutions he tells us. So what is meant by moment to moment? How do I live moment to moment? And that is that constantly at each moment, we should learn to invoke the divine will, divine peace, stay in a state of inner surrender and then take the challenges of life. Countless will come. This is not only one challenge. And all these challenges are basically evolutionary challenge. At the root of it, we are called upon to make a choice. For instance, we are called upon to make a choice between fear and faith. We make our choice. Now, it's not about surviving physically. We are too much preoccupied with life and death. We have to look beyond the dualities of life and death. We are too much preoccupied with immediate gains and immediate losses. We have to learn to look beyond gain and loss. We are immediately preoccupied with what will give me pleasure and what will give me, give me pain. We have to look beyond pleasure and pain. This is what is called going beyond dualities. And what plays with the duality is the ego self. The, the mother says that very beautifully. She says, it is the hour to tell your ego that your time is over. So what is the ego self? Ego self constructs a little personality, which is a shadow personality, the outer personality. This is Dr. Alok Pandey, for example, looks like this. This is biodata. Bio now, this is an ego construct. This is going to be demolished one day or the other. 
what will survive in the supramental world it is not this limited personality which is going to survive it is the impersonal universality the world personality which we all carry within us but it is like a closed bud through all the experiences of life this is going to open and happen and it is this which is going to lead the evolution forward the second thing which is very interesting which the mother reminds us is that what is the supramental force doing she was asked that what is its action upon matter and the human body she says it's sensitizing matter to the influx of the spirit it's sensitizing so it has become lot more easier nowadays to turn within on the other hand what at a cosmic level what this power is doing it is it is intensifying the values as it were so good is becoming better and evil is becoming worse sounds very strange but well that's how surgeons act and operate so what do they do when you go to them with a little bit of a boil they will see and assess it and they will decide whether to cut it or suppress it with antibiotics or they will say give it hot fermentation and come back after 2 days why because the whole thing becomes more and more it increases in size it softens and there is a little opening and there is a small little nick and the whole thing is out the poison is out something similar happens when evil reaches its extreme point then that is the time it starts pointing towards its own escape route and it bursts open and when it bursts open we see the air stifled with all kinds of poison but this is a process of clearing we must understand that through all this there is a huge work going on one of the things which always gives hope to us which we easily forget is the divine presence in matter it is that which is leading the evolution upward one of the problems with us as human beings is that we have you know it's a problem and there is a solution also there because we are at the apex of evolution we somehow feel and believe that not only is it our responsibility in a sense there is a responsibility but not in the sense we understand it not only is it our responsibility but we are the ones who are capable of changing this whole scheme of things and while it is our responsibility to change the scheme of things but when we believe when we start thinking that by our little mind we can really solve the problems of the world then we mistake the intention of nature we must understand that man himself is a momentary creation after billions of years of experiment that nature has carried on this is the biggest lab often people wonder where is the biggest laboratory on earth so my take is earth is the laboratory it's it earth itself is the laboratory so what's happening on earth there is a great work going on in terms of forms are being created which can embody greater and greater possibilities of consciousness and now we are the ones who we can say that is the as should been the puts it in the life divine that animal was the laboratory through which nature created man and man may well be the living and laboratory with whose conscious collaboration nature intends to bring out the superman so once we understand it then we understand that all challenges are meant to push us in only one direction and that direction is within and that direction is upward not to fall back on the old ways not to fall back on the old habits of life these old habits are the ones which lead towards death after all what is the subconscious and the inconscious subconscious is nothing else but the past which continues to linger inside it holds us back it's like chains and fetters all the old habits 
all the old ways of being physically vitally emotionally intellectually even spiritually tied to old forms formulas it's not going to work these institutions are going to crumble we have to find new forms of expression so this is the second part and the third is where the mother gives us a very beautiful remedy it's the age of truth so what is important in the age of truth she says before dying falsehood rises to its full swing so what is the remedy she says the remedy is truth you know there is a hospital in pondicherry one of the oldest hospital it's called jipmar so it's the institute which came in 1962 i think and mother was asked to give a message and she said that this uh, hospital supposed to be an extension in some way uh, of the medical facilities it whether it lived up to its name or not it's a different story but the message she gave was in french that truth cures it is truth which cures so what is the truth so she says the remedy is truth in speech truth in thoughts truth in feelings truth in will truth in action in everything to invoke truth and here she is not speaking of truth as a limited mental dogma at all it is a revelation of truth as we grow within so it is that's where we have to discover what's my own truth where is my own truth my own truth cannot be given in a book my own truth cannot be given in a formulated by a religion my own truth cannot be decided by a vote of people who you know my own truth cannot be captured by a belief system where is my truth and then when we search for that truth we again go back to the same story discover the truth within which is in the psychic being psychic being is the upholder of the truth that's why in in the epic of savitri uh, he is called as satyavan satyavan is the being who carries the truth within but it has forgotten it it's forgotten and thereby suffers loss diminution and uh, adverse fate and it's moving in the forest his own father mentor mind has fallen blind so but it's all the time carries the truth which it never knows so how is it to be found and again savitri gives us the grand clue often people ask where is the yoga given in savitri what is to be done by us if we really look at savitri it's very interesting yoga is done by two persons ashwapati and savitri meaning thereby by the lord and the divine mother if we take it as our age meaning thereby the yoga for the earth has been done by shurbindu and the mother so what we have to do we have to do what satyavan does we have to do what arjuna does to krishna arjuna says shishyaste ham sadhimam i am your disciple teach me but being a disciple is very difficult so the mother makes it very simple and that is we see in savitri that what does satyavan say he says that if by your own delight if you can come and accept whatever little i can offer to you that's all that i want satyavan does two wonderful acts which saves him from the clutch of death and opens the path of immortality first is when he sees savitri when their gaze meet he says that you know enter my life make it thy chamber and shrine that is the first act of grand surrender that he makes then he leads a happy life with her savitri is the center of his life and at the end when he is dying when you know he falls from the tree and he is says savitri come i want to be in your lap 
and then his last words are savitri savitri oh my bright princess savitri so this story when we look at it which is you know shobindo's epic basically what is it teaching us where is the yoga for us the yoga is basically to lead a life which is centered around the divine the first act of satyavan is the grand surrender of his free will the last act of satyavan is a complete surrender of life and death and everything and in between his life is centered and revolves around the divine mother so this if we can make as a way of life that's where the safety lies all dangers this is what you know at least you know many of us i have grown up in that kind of uh, tradition with that attitude that the divine is the ultimate safety often this logic i have used that well people often worry even now they worry what may happen to the world what may happen to the world when they went to the mother she said well there is a supreme wisdom which manages the world's affair and it knows very well what is to be done and it's looking after it because they were worried about third world war where you know we are like you know imagine a group of monkeys worrying about our problems population explosion and uh, political parties coming to power so what will human beings tell them that look here this is not for you to worry so we have our own issues where is the solution lies so we are all the time engaged as if we are the ones who are going to manage whereas what we have to do is we have to make that surrender and take that road the ascension towards something greater than man and that's why all the challenges are coming to us and if we can learn to unite the human in us with the divine the human is a very struggling very frankly so the logic that i used to use is that well if god is there in creation if you really believe as some religion say as mystic experience says as the mother and shobindo say as the rishis of the upanishad say all of them say that in every atom of existence there is the divine presence if that is true then why worry and if it is not true then why worry because life is it really worth living for dust for matter which is nothing there is no divine presence there is nothing which is stable which is wonderful which is divine which is then all the dreams have no meaning so if you look at it very logically we'll arrive at this conclusion that worrying doesn't help fear doesn't help if there is the divine presence then why worry it will take care but then is there something i have to do yes i have to do something i have to find ways and means to connect myself with the divine presence i have lost that key that's the problem of man he is the one who is always like a nomad searching for his home right from the beginning settlers man is never settled at one place he is a nomad he is searching for his home and in that story we have the symbol you know again we have the story of the lost tribes so what 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 is really our predicament we are really looking for a true home a true law of being and that law of being is truth so truth is here in that sense the satya dharma each human being has his own law of being his own law of evolution and he must follow that and that law of evolution is enshrined within the temple of his own soul so the task of the human is ultimately to find ways and means to reconnect with the divine we have lost that connection and why we have lost it because as the story goes of adam and eve we had a choice so what happens when we have a choice we <laughs> choose 
uh, well, that story has many connotations. But the moment we are given the choice, the choice was given by nature for a conscious evolution. Basically, nature wants us to choose, so it will accelerate the process. Unlike the animal world, which doesn't have a choice, and through catastrophes, animals have evolved. But that's not what divine wants for us. So he gives us a choice. You choose, gladly. What do you want? And he will give hundred hints that there is the divine presence, please choose it. But yet it will not compel us to choose. Even there may be a subtle compulsion. But still the choice has to be made in our freedom. And there's a, that's where the problem lies. Now if we make that choice, we evolve and grow. If we don't make that choice, then human beings as human beings he says most of the time when human beings are given the choice they choose to be with all that is asuric all that is dark all that is false it is almost spontaneous so what is the remedy of falsehood illness is a falsehood all this play why it is called as a falsehood because it's not the fundamental truth of existence when we look at it from the spiritual perspective what is the fundamental truth of our existence it's consciousness it's pure existence it's infinite existence, it's infinite force, it's infinite delight. All that contradicts us is basically which comes in the way. So it's called falsehood, unrhythm, because it covers up the law of truth. So how exactly do we find this truth? Is again by uncovering the divine presence. It's not truth as we normally understand. So she says, truth meaning thereby truth in thought, first of all. You know, the thought should be luminous steeds of truth. They must be tuned to truth. But our thoughts are right now full of fear, full of false things, full of life, death, full of selfish interest, full of hundred things. So the thought should be luminous steeds of truth. They should be focused on the truth. And the truth is the divine presence in matter. Truth in feelings. What is it that deep within I feel? What is the truth of feeling? If we go to the core of every feeling, however distorted it may appear, even hate, even cruelty, will go to its roots. There is only one true feeling and that is love and ananda. So if we concentrate on the truth in feelings, means to bring this love which is right deep at the core of everything, to bring this delight of existence which is at the core of everything, and then, Allow it to nourish our body and mind and life and soul and life would be beautiful. Truth in feelings. Truth in impulsions. Not to be impelled by all these kind of, you know, arguments and debates and logics and prefixed ideas of what we should do and what not. Truth in impulsions. So we should allow this law of truth to unfold through the practice of equanimity, through the practice of learning to act without preferences, through the practice of choosing without desire. Nishkam karma. So a time comes when we are ready for the law of truth and its impulsions to move us. And truth, we may say, right into the body. How do we bring truth into the body? That's the big challenge. So first, truth, the space of truth is in the psychic being and it is this which must be allowed to govern even the bodily life. Its substance has the, is the substance of immortality. And when it touches, when it is allowed to emerge, where, what does it touch first? It's right there at the heart. This is a very beautiful correspondence. It touches, gives us a new dynamic impulsion to life. Fills us with compassion, enthusiasm, gratitude, urge for progress. That's what it brings immediately into the system. It brings to the physical health because its, it's, it's nature is the substance of immortality. The moment the psychic enters 
and touches. So it has a substance. It's not just a you know vague entity. So when it enters and touches the body and irrigates it, it brings in the body a warmth, a sweetness, a spontaneous capacity to choose the right, a spontaneous capacity to reject the wrong vibration. It automatically activates, if we may say so, the law of beauty and harmony, which of all things are the greatest and the simplest ways to heal. After all, what is a problem? What is an illness? What is a crisis? What is a difficulty? In one sense, it creates disorder. It breaks the fixed order. So we have to bring in order again. But there is the old order towards which we tend to go. And there is a new order, new harmony towards which we may climb. So what we have to do is to bring in the law of harmony, the vibration of harmony. Its path is very simple actually. Nothing complicated. If simply we meditate upon harmony and peace, harmony and peace, just call it like, you know, <laughs> like the most ignorant child asking for chocolates, toffees and cars. If you just ask harmony and peace, peace and harmony, peace and harmony, peace and harmony, it's magical. Even if there is conflict going on outside and people are fighting, quarreling, and people are cross with you. They believe you are the one who have brought catastrophes to them. <laughs> Nothing. Just to call peace and harmony. Peace and harmony. It has the power to start working silently in unseen ways from within outwards. So this is something very easy to practice. Not something very difficult. But yes, in the beginning it takes time because we are not accustomed to it. Even, even we cannot imagine that life can be so simple. You know, one of the big problems of the mind is... It has created a maze and it believes that life is very complicated because the mind has made it complicated. It's not very complicated at all. It has made it so complicated that it cannot believe that the remedy can be as simple as opening to grace. A very beautiful little sentence of the mother. Above all these so-called complications of the human, of the so-called human wisdom, there stands the luminous simplicity of the divine grace, ready to act if we allow it to do so. Life can be so wonderful, so simple, so beautiful. And can we imagine when the divine grace acts, what does it mean? What can resist its action? She is the original saviour of the creation. Can there be any power, however adverse, however dark, that the divine love and divine grace cannot handle? But we are not accustomed to it. So on our phones, there is a permanent mobile phone given to us at birth. And that permanent mobile phone is speech. <laughs> the power of speech <laughs> given to man. And this power of speech acts outwardly. Tangible speech. Speech which we can hear. Vaikhari as it is called. And is a subtle speech. Paravak, Pashyanti Vak. So this speech is inside us thought. And if we learn to make this thought constantly go on with this very simple thing. People, I don't know, often you know when they read the life divine, they say, Oh, Shravindra Yoga is very complicated, very difficult to understand. Well, in its aims, in its implications... In its goal, it is the most challenging of all. Because what does it aim at? Not just a liberation of the soul from the human body, but the transformation of even the bodily life. It's mind-boggling. 
and it is indeed mind boggling it should be mind boggling so that at some point the mind says i cannot conceive i cannot understand it but where the mind boggles and stumbles the heart opens up and if we can learn to do that and just from the heart simply let out a cry from within lord i need you ma 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 we were speaking about that that very name has an impact upon the cells of the body at one place the mother says so beautifully she says how to read shurabindu in casual i mean this conversation somebody said how to read your books and shurabindu's books shurabindu's books are very complicated yours are simple but how to read them she reveals the secret she says first as to my works what they contain is consciousness not thoughts not information she's not giving us information like newspaper tabloids and then she says if you read it in quietude she says do not try to understand very interesting <laughs> so when we read it with this quietude the words they are like capsules of light they go inside they release the light and they create new brain cells for the understanding if necessary everywhere they have given such luminescence savitri the mother speaks of as the mantra of transformation savitri gives that hint as when the mantra sings in yogas here so what what does it do it sets in motion there is a vibration which sets in motion what does that do there is a great change which comes on the mind and body and life it endures a divine change so the path is very simple very very simple but the difficulty of human beings us humans is we don't believe in simple things you know when i was small i often narrate this story i am a medical doctor by profession specialized from afmc so when i was small we would go to a doctor we had one doctor in the village and he was an rmp it's not even registered medical practitioner he's not mbbs and all that okay so what he would come we'll tell him the problem and he will say very nice old man i still have nice memories pat me on the head and say you'll be fine beta and everybody will do the same and then he will ask his compounder to make something so compounder will make green mixture and pink mixture so whenever i would go i would ask him ki uncle give me that pink mixture the taste is better <laughs> so <laughs> with these two mixtures life was wonderful is it that we didn't have viruses we are drinking unfiltered water can you imagine open well I'm not saying we should go back to those days but look at how complex life has become that even when we drink filtered water we are wondering whether it's written 100% safe is it really safe because we have lost that ability that trust that faith mind is entered into a maze of endless complexity it has erected a civilization which it cannot manage Shubhendra puts a, there is a interesting line in Savitri world of falsehood guarded like termite cities from the sun you know termites make very huge high rise buildings <laughs> from termite scale it's enormous and they guard it from the sun our life has become like that the mind has created so much endless complex structures after structure this philosophy that philosophy this system that system this program that program and what have we shielded ourselves from the natural light of the sun the supramental light the grace the divine presence so this is the remedy and uh, uh, 
I would just like to, you know, before we uh, go on to question and answer, just to go with the something very beautiful she says about it. They who know how to turn towards, who sincerely call the divine, who feel that it is the only salvation, the only way out, and who sincerely give themselves, then gesture of breaking through. In a few minutes it becomes wonderful. For the smallest things, there is nothing small or big, important or unimportant. It's all the same. So we have to learn to lean on the divine presence and it gives the wonderful results. Two things. It is as it were to give an idea of the change in the world by the descent of the supramental. Truly things that were neutral become absolute. A little error becomes categorical in its consequences and a little sincerity, a little true aspiration becomes miraculous in its result. Well, it is very simple. The whole creation must want nothing but the divine, nothing but to manifest the divine. And all that is does, even all its so-called errors, are only means towards making it inevitable for the whole creation to manifest the divine, but not the divine as man conceives him to be. This and not that. With all kinds of restrictions, the divine is in a you know place of worship, the divine is in a philosophy, the divine is in a book, holy book, the divine is in, you know, this particular religion, no, not that which we have shut the divine in various formulas. In fact, we have cut off the divine from the world. Actually, if we look at the so-called age of enlightenment, at some point, we took a decision. And the decision was, divine thinks what, you know, what is unto Caesar, give unto Caesar. What is for the divine, leave him there. So we created an antagonism, a false division. This life has to be governed with reason. Reason has been given to man. And there is another existence beyond and that's where the divine has its place. In our private homes, in our rooms, we can worship the divine. It gives us solace. It may open the path, post-mortem salvation. After we die, then he comes to carry us to some mythical heaven. But what about here? And she says we have to bring the divine into life, into our smallest details. So she says, not as man conceives. A totality of tremendous power and light. It is truly the power in the world. This new and tremendous power that has come into the world and must manifest itself and must make manifestable this divine all power. And finally, she says, This is what is altogether new and incomprehensible, this new consciousness. And therefore it produces a kind of panic in the ordinary consciousness of people. Yes, it is that. It seems it is no more what it was and truly there is something new. It is no more as it was. All our common sense, all our logic, all our practical sense 
is dashed to the ground. It has no force anymore, no reality anymore. It no longer corresponds to what is. It is truly a new world, a world which wants to take a body in the world. So this is why we see that the old world is dying, its ways, its approaches. We have reached a peak of the mental world. And while we may multiply gadgets and technology, that's moving in circles, but horizontal circles. But what we need to break through is that dimension which we read in Savitri, to raise a lost power from its python sleep. She broke into another time and space. And the method is very simple. With these lines of Savitri, I would close. Then miracle is made the common rule. A prayer. We have forgotten to pray actually. Why? Because all the prayers we have, have been usurped by the prayer books. <laughs> so all the prayers have turned into conventional religious prayers. And so we have to read that, you know. So that story about Karna who forgets last minute the mantra with which he has to fire the Brahmastra. <laughs> that mantra is inside, it's in the dharma, that's the story. It's not something mechanical. When he will be on the right side, the, the weapon will appear. That's the curse. It's the curse embodies within itself a very cryptic message. So all the prayers have been usurped in the books and we have forgotten how to pray. A prayer, a master act. The master act can be a leap of faith. The master act can be to have this aspiration to find the divine and to leave, abandon everything for that sake. Master act. Now, abandoning is not something outward, but something inward. A master act, a king idea. What is the king idea? Imagine. What kind of an idea is this that we are worried about our survival? We are worried about figures and numbers flashing on the TV screen. That's not a king idea. The king idea is, is there a way that the bodily life can be made secure forever? Can this state of affairs of suffering, pain, disease, death, can it change? Transformation, it's a king idea. A prayer, a master act, a king idea can link man's strength to the transcendent force. Then miracle is made a common rule. A lonely thought becomes omnipotent. One Mighty deed can change the course of things. And then he explains, all now seems nature's massed machinery and endless servitude to rule. So right now it appears like that. And yet the secret truth is, but wisdom comes and crowns himself its king. Nature's instrument crowns itself its king. A godhead stands behind the brute machine. So this machine of the body, this machines created by the mind, these structures, behind all this, there is a divine presence which is seeking to emerge. It's pressing from within for emergence and it's pressing from outside. If we open to this emergence, then there is no dangerous, dark appearances. We'll see a luminous passage open as the story of Moses as he goes through the river Nile and it parts. But when we don't, then we'll be besieged by the flood and its growing currents are going to only become stronger and stronger so because it's the hour of God when the old bases are shaken and only that which is ready and willing to change the consciousness.
that alone survives. Finally, that message of her, the future of the earth depends upon a change of consciousness and the change is bound to come. So this is the key and the key is to change the consciousness within and let that change spread outside, spread upwards, spread downwards into each and every field of uh, our endeavors and action into each and every area of life and shall we say into each and every cell of a body. Any questions, we'll be happy to take. Thank you. Thank you, Alok. Um, there are several questions here for you. Uh, I may read them out for you. Okay. Um, it is difficult and often um, headbutting to lead a truthful way of life with so many lies and untruth around us. Um, we find it easier to play along with the games, sort of go along uh, with the lies of society, people around, etc., etc., and only then have fewer challenges, as it were. How to how do we break this cycle and live truthfully? Be strong enough to want to wake up to fighting every day. Yes, <laughs> thank you. So how do we lead a life of truth with so much untruth around, which is all this time encircling us and compelling us from every side to just go with the flow as we can, you know, we can use that term flow in that sense that, you know, wherever everybody is going. Well, that courage, this question was asked by Surinna Johar to the mother, where to find that strength? Because he had exactly the same problem. He said, nobody understands me. Nobody is willing to even, you know, uh, give a shoulder to the kind of work that I want to do for you. And she said very categorically that strength is within you. To stand on the courage of our own conviction, on the courage of faith. And very importantly, we must understand that what is it that is afraid? What is it that doesn't want to really make a choice of truth? See, there is one thing where we don't know what is truth. It's okay. We are ignorant. Another is where we know but we don't, uh, we cannot stand. And she said very beautifully, it is the ego which is afraid. What may happen to it? Even now, you know, people ask this question because, you know, recently one of the government orders came. I don't know whether it's an order or not that everybody needs to be vaccinated, whether you are, you know, regardless of anything. So what may happen if you don't take, there are consequences. So there are people who may say that, okay, I don't take, I take the consequences. It's as simple as that. And if we take that approach, then there is a protection. There is a grace which takes care. So, well, all life is like that. At some point, the people who made the odd choices were the one who later on took the leap. Life is like that. But uh, at every level, the choice, uh, you know, uh, gives itself. But once we have this faith and a living conviction that regardless of the choice that I make, sometimes one may go with the flow. That's one thing. One thing which I must always do is to surrender it to the Divine Mother. People again, they ask that, you know, should I take the vaccine or not take? Well, if that's a choice one has to make. But regardless of that, we can still offer it to the Mother. We can pray to her. We can give it to her. And then she will take care of the uh, you know, consequences. Now, the problem only here is the big catch here is faith. So, if we have the faith, it comes very naturally. So, what do we do to awaken this kind of faith? 
that if I made the right choice according to my deepest truth and the world is against me, I'll still be protected. How to awaken this faith? You know, there's the whole story of Arjuna that he chooses Krishna unarmed on the battlefield than his own army. It's a strange choice. His own Narayani Sena is on the other side. He says, I can give my army or myself and I'll be unarmed. He makes the choice and Shubhindu says you should make that choice. Now, where to get that faith? That's where the whole yoga stands. That faith is embedded within our soul. It's lost in the mind. That faith grows as we come in touch with books which are flaming with this light. One of the things that Shurabindra and the mother's works do is as we read through them because the words are imbued with that consciousness, with that power, at least in me it worked so wonderfully, that as I read, faith leaped from within. So a simple remedy, I would say that Every day we should read Mother and Shurabindo or the Gita. I mean, whatever one has really deep conviction in. But I am speaking of Mother and Shurabindo because uh, despite reading everything, that's where I found that ultimate source of light. Or if that is not the case, then meetings like this satsang. This is not a retreat. As we know, I always keep reminding, this is a collective yagna. And the purpose of collective yagnas, we should have more often. And the purpose is, that well, each of us brings a little flame. Our faith may be so small, somebody's may be like a big, you know, fire which is raising very, blazing very high. And when the two meet, there is a leveling out. It's something beautiful. So we can awaken this faith by being in the company of, you know, collective company, collective reading or coming together of people who hold this faith. That was the whole idea behind Sangha. You know, Buddha speaks of Buddham Sharnam Gachami, Sangham Sharnam Gachami, Dharmam Sharnam Gachami. And Shubhindu gives a great importance to Sangha. He also speaks of it in, in his, uh, you know, uh, writings, letter to Barin, where he speaks about Sangha, the community. There should be community living centered around faith. Now, it's not about religion. But let's say a faith that there is going to be a great change in the world and it makes a big difference. That was the whole purpose initially of creating an ashram. So while it nothing should become a very rigid machinery of institution because then the truth dies. But the core faith, the central faith that yes, the world must change and should change. When people come together with that faith, it increases and leaps from within. That gives us the courage. So when we are alone, it becomes very difficult. But when we are people, one who has courage can give courage to others. So when we are together in, in, uh, you know, in the deepest essence, I am not speaking of together as you know, forming a political party and <laughs> going, going into a mass campaign of doing this and doing that. That precisely has been the fault of religions and institutions. But deep within, we all come together in the deep faith, that essence of our being. And that is something wonderful. So more satsangs, more collective readings, more individual readings, concentration, going within, prayers, aspiration. That will one day give us the courage. And the final courage will come when we know that we are not this little ego personality. When we know for sure that this body, whether it lives or dies, is really not important. Whether this ego personality which everybody knows by a certain name and form, even if it goes to smashes, it doesn't matter. Why? Because whether I live or die, I am. So that will come ultimately through experience. So start with faith, travel through aspiration and 
finally discovered through experience. This is man's journey. So start with the faith. What is the faith we should have with regard to truth and falsehood? The mother said only one thing needs to be taught to children. The conviction that truth wins. What was he speaking? Satyameva jayate nanritam satyene panthavitato deviyana. It is truth that wins and not anritam. Not truth. Falsehood if you want to call it. The slight difference between the two. Nanritam. Satyene pantha. By, the, by truth they have carved the path, the gods. But truth we must understand it's not a dogma or religion. What we are deeply Deep within our essence, that which we know to be true, we must follow that lead. That's the lead given to us. Yes, society is not ready, world is not ready, it will contradict Buddha's advice to the mother, Sakya Muni, in her prayers and meditation. When has world ever understood the divine? So sometimes, as I said, while we used to read this, that if you are walking on the road and the entire traffic is coming on from the other side towards you, then probably you are on the wrong side. But its flip side is also true that if you are following a path which is less travelled, then probably you are on the right road. Take the road less travelled. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, there is another question. What is the difference between psychic change and spiritual change? What is the procedure the mother and Shurbindo has suggested for this? Yes. So I've been hinting about it. Psychic is the core of a being. So unless we connect with the core, opening the doors to the spiritual change without the psychic connection can even be disastrous because now a greater consciousness is entering the system and there is no center to take care of it. Our operating system is still the ego. It cannot understand truly the spiritual consciousness. To give an example. Now, what does the psychic bring? It brings right discernment. It knows what is truth. Because when a vaster consciousness comes, all our measures can go to pieces. And to give an example, we have the famous story of uh, you know the Vedantic truth, which speaks about the spiritual consciousness very often without going through the psychic change. So what happens? You enter into a vast consciousness. And when we are in that vast consciousness, where all is one and one is in all, what it can do is, is typified in that story of Sri Ramakrishna, when he is going, this little disciple, and he meets the elephant. And he is face to face with the elephant, and the elephant, the man on top of the elephant, Mahout, he tells him, move aside, move aside. And he says, no, no, you are an ignorant fool. After all, you are just a mahout. I am the knowledgeable one. So what is the knowledge you have, sir? I know that the elephant is dangerous to you. He says, no, no, he is Brahman. Elephant is Brahman. I am Brahman. What can Brahman do to Brahman? And sure enough, the elephant comes in the way, picks up the man, throws him aside. He is all broken bones, goes back to the guru and says, why did you give me such a teaching? which cannot be applied. And the Guru said, well, the teaching is right, but the application is wrong. Why didn't you listen to the Mahavad Brahman who was telling you to come aside? Now, essence of it is, the psychic prepares the nature to receive the spiritual consciousness. It's very vast. It will break and shatter all measures. It can land us in a land of experiences, which Shurabindu speaks of the valley of intermediate glimmer, where truth walks arm in arm with falsehood 
where death walks, truth does the works of falsehood with bandaged eyes. And death walks in the ropes of deathless life. So because of these dangers, the psychic changes the first mandatory dose to be taken. <laughs> and then the spiritual, that's the safer way. If the spiritual consciousness comes first, not that, you know, there is spiritual life doesn't follow a fixed format. But the reason why Shubhinda was insisting on the psychic change was this. Because it is the only thing which is safe and will make all the rest of the journey safe. Spiritual journey is fraught with its own set of problems and dangers. Because we human beings live within a measure. It, we are safe from the boundary of the gods, but we are also safe from the boundary of the titans. When a vaster consciousness comes and we enter into the cosmic field, well, the gods and the titans claimed his soul as for a costly price. And at that point of time, if the psychic is nascent, not awakened, it is not prepared nature, then it can be catastrophic. So the psychic change. How to find it? It's a psychological center to practice concentration in the heart. We don't have to worry two inches here or three inches there. Automatically, the center of the chest, anywhere, that's, there is only one spot where it will go. How to concentrate? What are we going to imagine? Take the help of imagination, of the mother's presence, of a fire in the heart, of her name, ma, 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 and with a will and aspiration to find the divine. When we want to find the divine, the psychic will automatically come and lead the way because <laughs> that's, its, that's what it's looking for. And the simplest and swiftest way to find the psychic is through faith, devotion and surrender. Sure, in those words that if we have the spontaneous awakening of faith, devotion and surrender, then it's very easy to find the soul. It's its food. The problem is that we have stifled it. We have baby formula food for the body. We have number of food items which are safe for the you know, uh, physical body. We have other kinds of formula food for the Emotional being, right from, you know, foster mothers and, you know, those look-alike mannequins which can, you know, give us. We have food for the mind, plenty of information. But what is missing is food for the soul. And that's what is important, right? From childhood, if we can bring in the child's diet, nutrition diet, this aspect of psychic food and children grow on it, it becomes very easy later on. To digest the psychic food. Otherwise they, you know, develop problems. So this is how the psychic is found. It's a long journey. She says few things as a hint. And that she says it should be like a preoccupation all the time. It's not like 5-10 minutes let me sit and do dhyanam for psychic being. All that, It's like a wonderful discovery. She says armed with the patience and fortitude. As one is when one is discovering continents. That's how it should be. It's something so unprecedented, so new. We must be charged with an enthusiasm. It's not a mechanical meditation, sitting for half an hour, paying our debt to God. Look here, God, every day, 8 to 8.30, I sit in finding my psychic being. Please allow it to come forward. All the time, it's something worth it. It's something so wonderful. It's the one thing which we will carry from life to life. All else, we may or may not carry or we carry in a sense. But this growth, this progress we carry for sure from life to life. So that's why it's important. If we have not found the psychic being, we have opened to spiritual consciousness, then we don't know how much of it will be even assimilated by the soul in a journey forward. 
But once the psychic being is active, all the rest follows inevitably, naturally, spontaneously. It's a vast subject. I have just touched upon some of the essential elements. Yes. This is a, a bit challenging because I have just received a message hmm. from Nilisha that says the government of India has issued an order giving certain directions on COVID-19 vaccination. As per the order, units which do not comply with the order of evacuation within 15 days will not be allowed to function. Accordingly, all ashramites and volunteers working in all ashram departments should get their vaccination done, at least the first dose, as soon as possible, no later than 22nd June, 2021. Okay, so uh, first of all, uh, this order, so-called order was circulated and I had my own meeting with people and I asked people to show me the order which says that it is a must. Till now, I haven't seen any order which says that if you don't, the departments will be closed. I am yet to see an order signed by the government. The only order that has come is not by the government of India, but the government of Pondicherry, a local government, which says in that order that departments, it says about the medical part, should ensure 100% vaccination. For the industrial units, it speaks of if the workers don't take the vaccination, they have to stay away. It's as vague as that. So I personally, as far as I can say, I made my choice that I refuse the vaccination and I am ready for the consequences, gave in writing. So the consequences came very swiftly. <laughs> Stay away from the department. I said, it's fine with me as long as, you know, so, you know, we are just speaking about the truth and falsehood and all that intermingle. But uh, my own feeling is, and I mentioned this to all the concerned people, and I don't mind saying all this very freely and frankly, because I do believe that if we cannot stand up for what we believe in as true, then we are not worth being human beings. So very freely and frankly, I said, if the government has issued this order, it's an unlawful command. Because as of now, the vaccines are still under emergency use. We don't know the short term and the long term effect. The effects, side effects have been underplayed. Strangely, within two days of saying this, now suddenly we have a number of articles and things speaking about the side effects. Now I'm not going into vaccination, whether it's good or bad, that's a different subject altogether. But my point was there should be a freedom of choice and these things should not be coerced upon public, least of all through measures which can be draconian and drastic, wherein, you know, people may lose jobs, people may lose their, uh, you know, many things. So I, for one, have stood against it uh, openly, gave in writing my refusal. And I said, if this means that I do not work in a medical department, I am fine with it. But I guess that the choice is not so easy for everyone. And at some point, you know, each one has to make a choice. And uh, probably it, I'm sure this won't work. This is my own impression. It won't work. I do not know why ashram is taken and which order and what they are speaking about. Because I asked that, where is this order? Show me this order under a signature. Nobody as of now has been able to put this order in circulation, which is the only thing which should have been done. 
Instead, somebody has spoken like a spokesperson on behalf of the government. So I really cannot say whether such an order actually exists or not, wherein there is a threat to the units to be closed. It's a very drastic step. I don't think that yeah, anybody can do that. And closing a unit means not just closing a unit. It means making people jobless. There will be a number of workers who every day life is, you know, and you can't say that if you don't take a vaccine, we just make you jobless. So if there is such an order, it's a completely unlawful order, which can be challenged. And I'm sure somebody will challenge and it will definitely be challenged in the court of law. But yes, uh, um, first we should see whether such an order exists or not. But I've seen this message on circulation and I feel... No, there is no order number. I have read the letter of the government where it says to 100% ensure. And I had a discussion with the authorities. I said the word is ensure and not enforce. There is a difference between the two. And uh, they said, that, then how do we ensure? I said, you just say you cannot ensure because the straight reply should be there is no way you can ensure 100%. How do you ensure? And I gave an example. Are you going to catch hold of me and forcibly make me sit in a chair and give a vaccine? If I refuse... No, we can't do that. So I said that it's an unlawful command. So people in authority have to stand up with courage and say that we cannot ensure 100% vaccination. How can we force people to do that? And let the authorities get back with their strategy. How are they going to? Now they can't start closing units. They can't threat people and coerce them. Somebody is on a trail of ambition who wants to rise high. I'm talking of somebody in the government who want to prove that, look, 100% mass vaccination to be in the eyes of people. And if it come, goes too far, there are people who, will, uh, who have reached right up to the Prime Minister's office and will surely get them involved. I myself have been thinking of doing that. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you. Uh, there are more questions here waiting. So I'm just to the whole yeah. list of them. So I was kind of concerned that we would. Yeah. Uh, from uh, our university, Rohit is asking, when we are prepared, it is said we were aware of the choice. Uh, but when it comes instantly, we take it as a chance. Is this a spontaneous response for which we need to be receptive? How to be vigilant, so to say, all the time? Yeah? What are your thoughts? Okay, so there are several, It's you know, ordinarily... We think we are making a choice, but it's true that ordinarily choices are pushed upon us precisely like the government order. <laughs> there is a pressure from all kinds of forces and we succumb to it. That's how normally human systems operate. The choices may come as suggestions, through habit, through past conditioning. We think it's a choice, but actually it's not our choice. So the first necessity of man is to disentangle from this complex mass of unintelligible phenomena that part in us which truly can choose and that's where we come back upon the psychic being and if not the psychic being the first thing we need to you know awaken within us psychic being is a little uh, you know it takes longer is that discerning intellect and how do we activate the discerning intellect we choose a goal choices are related to the goal and spontaneous choices unless the psychic is making it is very very tricky issue. So we must step back from the world of forces which are trying to move us to enter into a state of deep quietude. Then we have one of the two options to go deep within the heart, leaving aside all preferences, offering ourselves to the mother and seek a guidance from within. 
and there will be a little indication, little nudge, little something and we follow that lead. This is one way. So it's not a spontaneous choice the way we understand on impulse, certainly not. Or the other is we awaken the dis- discerning intellect and see the implications of this choice vis-a-vis my goal, vis-a-vis the path I have chosen. Let's say the path of truth. So whether this choice is really helping me move towards it or this choice is coming in the way of my journey. And based on that I choose. So these are the two operating systems. The easier is the discerning intellect, the buddhi, as the Gita also starts with that. But for buddhi, we have to separate from nature. Even for the psychic being, we have to separate from nature. So we have to practice stepping back. When we are caught up in a storm, step back. Let's not rush into the decision and step back and see how much of it is really important. And we'll discover that there are very, very few things which are really of lasting value and important in life. And we must just pick them up and move with that. So this is how we, we can make choices. Vigilance, yes, but this the vigilance, which part should, be the, uh, should have the vigilance is the discerning intellect or the psychic being. And that could be also in the way that you may change your kind of. Oh, oh yes, it's it's yeah, it's not a rigid uh, thing. Yes, it evolves, it grows. Yes. Yeah, there would be some other elements which would tell you inwardly that the right choice would be to to follow another path or another. Yes, uh, absolutely. Around. Plasticity is very important. Yes. Thank you. Uh, there is a, another question here about, uh, very interesting from uh, Monica Suri. Uh, please give me more clarity on projection of happiness and true happiness. So to say, when we imitate happiness, <laughs> because we must be happy, yes, everybody has to be happy. Mm-hmm. And r- true happiness, which is not an imitation or projection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not necessarily imitation, but there is a happiness that doesn't last. Let me put it like that, that there is a field of nature within which nothing lasts. That's the Anitya Masukham of the Gita. So this transient world. So if we pin our happiness on something outside, let's say an object, that I'll give get this happiness from this object, then well, My happiness is bound to the object and time bound by the object. So first thing we must realize is that happiness is not in the object, but in my value of that object, the value that I have given. So for example, I value parents, I value a friend, husband, wife, beloved, child. But all these things for happiness, these relations, we should turn towards the divine. Because that is the source. So whenever we go to the source, we find find it in its purest form. Everywhere else we'll find it mixed. So while we play in the world, we have our roles to play. We have to deal with this complex, many-structured world and be a mother to someone, a father to someone, a friend to someone, a beloved, a husband, all these wife, all these roles. We must for our sake, for ourselves, draw happiness only from the one authentic source which is the divine. And if we do that, then we will see that that happiness will be constantly with us. There is a little story of a man who visits a psychological facility where there is a person who is depressed and is constantly crying, Oh, Usha, my Usha, my Usha and he is crying. 
So he asked him why he is crying. So the treating physician says he is crying because he wanted Usha and he couldn't get it. So he says, yeah, yeah, I know this happens. So he goes to another bed and he is also crying, Usha, Usha, my Usha. He says, why is he crying? Did he also not get Usha? He says, no, he found Usha. And then he is unhappy. So he goes to the third bed where again he is hearing Usha, Usha. So he asks, what's your problem with Usha? He says, I don't even know who is Usha. But I hear these people calling her name and crying. So I believe she is a very desirable person. So you know, we are conditioned, habituated to believing from childhood that certain things will give me happiness. And actually they become a bar between us and the natural joy of life. Remove that bar and there is nothing but delight. Even in prison we can experience freedom and delight. It's just a conditioning of the mind that it's only through this I will have joy and happiness. Yeah. Mm, thank you. Uh, I think you answered to, to several questions which are here. How to come back to our beautiful and pure state when we were children, where the mind was not the obstacle and we could follow impulses of, you know. Of, uh, uh, so... Um, and there are there are more elaborate questions which I may send you later uh, because uh, they are long to yes. read. Uh, yes. But uh, yes. there are a few which are very short and very to the point. How can one yes. call down calm when we are agitated? Oh, of course. So we have to learn to practice calling calm when we are not agitated. You know, when you are given a phone, you are given a number to activate it. If you have not activated, never activated the phone, it's like having a key which we have never used. And when there is a storm, you want to enter the door, you know there is a door, you know there is a key, but you can't find the key and you can't find the door and when the door is seen, you can't turn the lock. That's why every day we must try to call peace and calm as a way of life. If we do it every day, after some time, calm becomes our friend. C-A-L-M, calm. And peace becomes our you know, she just walks with us. And any time we call peace, she's there. So these things should be practiced first when we are in a state of uh, everything is fine. As somebody has said, that Jo Sukhme Sumaran Kare Dukkahe Kohe. So people in distress, they go to God. But if we every day form a connection, even when life is good and happy, then we'll form a link. Having said that, even in distress, peace can come. Sometimes it does come as a cascade, but for that, the call must go straight from the heart and rise on a crest of emotion. In the Gita, it is called as the Arth prayer, the prayer of distress, in distress when we call the divine. And then everything is calmed and there is peace. Why? Because peace is the sign of divine presence. Before he comes, there is peace. Automatically, there is peace. So what we need to do in a state of sudden distress when life is turning topsy-turvy, it just sincerely with faith from the heart, let a prayer go up. Doesn't matter what language, what intonation. It doesn't have to be necessarily in a you know well-read out prayer, but spontaneously from the heart. Oh Lord, I need your help. And you see the help will come and the peace will come. And all the rest that is needed along with it. Yes. Thank you. Uh, there is another question in the USA. The constant suggestion from the media is that you will not have enough dollars for retire. A lot of us 
if not all of us are stuck, our stuck being slaves of the corporate greed where companies are only interested in dollars, employees are not considered as human beings, how to escape this? how to escape this constant harassment of working from these corporations and cater i i can i can suggest uh, yes yeah. so i can only suggest the same remedy uh, which i was suggesting about the government order you know within the uh, so called government order rather about the context of the vaccination i think we must be prepared in life to literally walk with a bag with a little you know every one of us must be inwardly a kind of sanyasi not outwardly outwardly live in riches but be prepared to live in rags you know that stay hungry stay foolish this part of advice is quite good <laughs> if such be the will of god let it be the will of god and if inwardly that we practice in a detachment from whatever money can provide us after all we all know that money can provide us a lot of things but only outward things it can provide us comfort it can provide us luxury it can provide me even certain health benefits and things like that but what it cannot provide are the most valuable things and that is peace faith love surrender to god this it cannot provide so we must know the limits of money yes if such a thing ever happens then one must be prepared to live with minimum and be content living with the name of god in india that's how we have learned i don't know us it may be very difficult to live under those uh, I, i really you know because um, but but that's the teaching on which uh, i have grown up and i do believe that uh, when we take the path of yoga we must be ready and prepared for living in whatever conditions that we are placed in with full contentment and faith in god so it's a question of what we value most shift the values be a little detached and i wouldn't say practice being frugal but um, train oneself in a way that the basic life sustenance is taken care of with the minimum that's what that's what we learn from the ashram life beautiful thing with the minimum we can take care of things yeah thank you thank you so much uh dr yes. pandey and um it's was such a, an enlightening talk and and really what was so helpful at least for me is for uh you providing us some very simple yet effective ways to bring the divine into our life as well as to connect with the psychic uh within so really really appreciate uh the applications that you shared with us and of course your your thoughts and the sharing as you have been doing the mothers um teachings thank you thank you again alok thank you